I found she under a uh, gooseberry bush. <laughs> and she's just sitting there going, help me, help, help me. me, help hey, me. Hey, would you play drums? How does it feel to play with Gringo? Um, probably the most amazing thing I've ever done in my life. It has been a dream come true because I grew up, of course, listening to the Beatles. I think I was nine when I saw them on the Ed Sullivan show, somewhere around there, and they just totally blew me away. So in a million years, I never thought that I'd be able to even meet him, let alone perform with him. This is what I want to do. I know it. I feel it. I never felt anything. The day we opened in Canada, um, she's walking along the stage and we're bringing all the cameras in because we filmed it. And there was a track open oh, to no. put the wires in. She fell down and up to here. Twisted all this ankle, ended up in hospital. What happened, Mr. Starkey? <laughs> Sheila was heading for the barbecue <laughs> and fell down a hole. <laughs> She's playing away. We're glad she can play, actually. She's in a wheelchair right up to when we open. Well, the good news is we won't get a lot of double bass tonight. <laughs> oh, yes, you are. <laughs> I got to do it with my hands. <laughs> and I look around at Sheila, ladies and gentlemen. I looked at She's putting her damn high heels on. I said, Are you crazy? Welcome this week's When There Was Fab. I'm Ed Chan. And I'm Martin Quibell. This is the first official episode with Martin. We're going to have Martin back next week and then at least one more week in July. You'll be sick of me before the end of the month. They're going to have to put up with you because you're going to have one, maybe two appearances every month now until the end of time. Yes, it's the time of the season for me. <laughs> He's making a Lonnie Pena joke because we are going to be talking about the zombies among other acts this week. A little bit of news before we get started. First off, the Stowe School tape is now available for listening in the British Library. Yep, and when I go there, I'll let you know what it's like. And it's not just available in the main British Library. 
apparently you can go to the reading rooms in Yorkshire or St. Pancras. St. Pancras, that's a very Beatles-familiar location. And go into the sound catalog and bring it up, which means that it's available digitally, so someone might be able to, well, do something about acquiring a copy, shall we say. You never know. (laughs) Uh, The other thing about that tape is it turns out that there's another tape from that very same day after the Beatles played the Stowe School they went off and had a home-cooked meal at one of the officiants from the school. And the dad, the, the fellow from the school, decided to put up a microphone in a flower pot. That sounds a little bit familiar. Oh, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever heard that happen before. So it turns out that the Get Back tape is the second time the Beatles were secretly recorded from a flower pot. The flower pot sessions, we want them. <laughs> we got just a little tiny bit of them. I don't know what's going to happen with the rest of that tape. Tell me about this tape recording that your, your dad made. Dad uh, decided that he would hide the microphone in a vase of flowers, which was actually on the, on the cupboard behind where George was sitting. I'm just amazed that he had the forethought of doing that. You have made this really beautiful scrapbook, which I gather you started with the day or so after the concert. Yes, it probably was. Jan? Yes, it was. There's three colour pictures of you all seated at having dinner with them. Three which... colour pictures of us having dinner. Yes, we're all having dinner, looking very happy, very chatty. Ringo is refusing wine. He's refusing wine, wine as wine, you can yes. see. He's refusing <laughs> wine and we're busy... We're busy eating, so... And I have to say, from the tape, you could tell the knives and forks knives were and going. Forks they were, were hungry going. boys. Yes, they, they were very hungry, but it had probably been a long day. There's a rumour that they might have been um, slightly stoked on something, you know. Dare I say, possibly well, speed. Did you have really? a sense of them no, being slightly... No, um, no, no, not at all. But then, again, we were... 15 and 12, very innocent. We, would we have seen it? I guess we probably wouldn't. You can tell John is a confident talker. They're talking a bit about their past performing history in Hamburg and things like that, aren't they? Yes, John and Paul were doing most of the talking. George was very quiet because he had a really bad cold and cough. I felt that Ringo was more more friendly. There is this myth, which we need to clear up, which is that uh, on the walk back to the car, Ringo made a comment to you, Jan. He did. What did he say? He said, oh, it's nice to walk down the back path, isn't it? And uh, it was all very jokey, all very light-hearted. Nothing untoward. It was just a... It was just a flirty joke. A a flirty joke. Apparently the whole dinner was recorded. And as with the Get Back flower pot tape, there's lots of plates jingling and cutlery against silverware. Paging Peter Jackson, we need the Malsoft to sort that out for us. It would be kind of a cool conversation to listen in on from... 60 years later. Hmm, these potatoes are perfectly uh, roasted. <laughs> and hearing Paul talk about how lovely the chicken was cooked, he just put his head in his hands and says, oh, I wasn't a veggie then, oh, woe is me. 
He might want to change it like he does the lyrics to the Christmas song. <laughs> okay, the second thing, Mark Lewison is doing his Evolver 63 show over in London, and he played something, a tape which we kind of knew existed, but we didn't know that anybody actually had it out there. He played a demo, uh, or at least a section of a demo, of the Beatles writing Misery in the Cavern Club. Wow, that's quite something, that. Mostly different lyrics written from the female perspective because, well, they were thinking this was a song for Helen Shapiro at the time. It's almost like the fun that we had with the Get Back where we saw Paul edited-wise, but coming up with Get Back on the spot and creating it in its sort of an audio version of that, you know, and you don't get to see or hear these things that often. The performance is, like, just amazing. And this is just them goofing around trying to come up with this demo into a little tape recorder. Incredible. Once again, it shows you just how special these guys actually were. Yep, they can just come up with something on the spot and it be there immediately, all that so quickly. All right, on to our main topic. As mentioned a couple of weeks back, I just saw the latest incarnation of the All-Star Band in San Francisco. Ringo's still out there putting on a very good show. Yep, and he's still got Hamish there. So, you know, we kind of decided, let's look back at little-known incarnations of the All-Star Band, and and the one that is out on a full DVD, and actually the DVD has been ripped to YouTube, and you can play the full show from YouTube, is 2006. She Lee, Richard Marks, Edgar Winter, and Ringo Starr, all part of this All-Star touring group. The two-and-a-half-hour show was a mix of Ringo Starr solo hits, Beatles classics, and hits from the traveling All-Stars themselves. I never knew about this lineup at all. It's kind of a slightly weird lineup. This was the first time that Hamish was there, and Hamish was there because, well, Ringo had just had a falling out with... <laughs> His buddy, Mark Hudson. That would explain why there's no Hamish songs from uh, Average White Band or such, because it was last minute, essentially. In, in the video thing, you said that you were eccentric, eccentric and quirky. Like, that's a bad thing? Hello. <laughs> Hello. Those are characteristics oh, of the no. best artists. And why Mark Hudson? Unless he just thought, oh, well, Ringo won't mind. They got the tour ready. I don't know if they'd actually made up the promotional material, but there was Mark Hudson and the set list you can tell because there are three solo Ringo songs and Ringo has never been one to actually do his solo material that much. You know, it's one or two at most. And here it's like, no, okay, we'll do a number of my solo stuff from the last 10 years. Does Ringo not do as many songs as that usually then? This is a, about normal. This was before he started doing like Octopus's Garden. In place of that, he was doing stuff, Choose Love and Memphis in Your Mind. As I think of it, Ringo's list songs where it always reference something, a song here and there or a memory here and there from his life. 
the deal with Mark Hudson was they started rehearsing. Mark Hudson was part of the band, and he got an offer from ABC for a music show called The One, and he took it. And it's like, well, sorry, Ringo. They're paying me more money. You don't mind, do you? And it's like, go away now, Mark. That would lead to the split. I like Mark Hudson's production, but even for me, he goes a little bit overboard on the Beatlesms. Yeah, absolutely. But that's really unprofessional for him to do that, though. We don't know the exact story, but that is how it is told, at least. And Mark has always been kind of nonplussed when discussing what exactly happened. We know that's what happened. And the really stupid thing is ABC thought they had another American Idol on their hands. It went two weeks, four shows, and was gone. So Mark blew his opportunity at working with Ringo for something which just turned out to be an utter flop. Straight out of Ringo and into the queue for the benefit system. He is the uncle of Kate Hudson, and he does still have his own back catalog, both with and without his brothers, to rely on. But I'm sure there was more, and he loved doing the Ringo thing. He's one of the few people that are actually as big Beatle fans as we are. The 2006 All-Stars consisted of Ringo, Billy Squire, Richard Marks, Edgar Winter, Rod Argent, Rod Argent of the Zombies and Argent, Hamish Stewart, this was the first time that Hamish was with the All-Stars, and Sheila E. What a mixed group of people from all over the music spectrum. Sheila E., we'll talk about her as we get to her songs. She is an amazing drummer, and not that we didn't know that, but she puts on a show. She has so much energy. She's like um, a force when she's up on stage. It's amazing. And while Greg Bissonette is probably better at the double drumming, she and Ringo do a pretty good job of doing that together. Yeah, I like the bits where she's doing things and Ringo's <laughs> Ringo re- reacts to it and he, he like laughs at bits and he's, he's really enjoying it every time that she lets loose, shall we say. Yeah, there's a couple of times where she cracks his big, huge smile. That's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the Hamish thing. I think Amish fits in perfectly, melding the different areas together. And to bring it around to a topic that we just talked a little bit about on Toppermost, it is definitely a little bit weird to have three sort of 80s MTV-style artists, if we include Sheila E. in that. And that's really kind of never been Ringo or the all-star style. You've got them from those three eras, literally the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s, uh, smack bang in there, you know, and... Like I said, you've got the uh, pop. The MTV Pretty Boys. The MTV Pretty Boys with Richard and Billy Squire. And then you've got, you know. You got Rod Argent. I mean, the zombies. Yeah. Although I will say, again, we'll mention it as we go through. He has a good voice, but the songs just don't sound quite right with him singing them. She's not there. It's noticeable to me that it's not Colin Bluntstone. And they're still out on the road. That's why if you get a chance to go see them, you really should. Rod Argent and Colin Blundstone of the Zombies here. How are you guys doing this morning? Pretty good. Yeah, pretty really good. glad Thanks. to be Stephanie, here. Yeah. It is so great to have you in. I feel I feel really lucky to be yeah here talking with you guys. Thank and, you. Um, you know, so I was just getting ready for this interview this morning, and you guys put out your first album back in 1965. And almost 60 years later, you have a new album coming out this year, a new documentary about you guys premiering this weekend at South by Southwest. You've got a UK tour in April. It seems like a very big year in a very long and great career. 
It is going to be a big year, and it's it's incredible that we did start. We actually started in 1961, <laughs> and I can't believe that it's gone in a flash. Yeah. Um, if you'd have told me in 1961, we would be here talking to you <laughs> in 2023. I would have never believed it. But it's been a great adventure, and I wouldn't have changed a thing. Billy Squire would be in the All-Stars twice. He would be in this show and the... 2008 show and Richard Marks was only in this show so Ringo probably realized pretty quickly that it's good but it doesn't quite fit me or my style just in case people wondering their friendship remains Richard Marks still co-writes songs for Ringo The other thing that's noticeable about this band, most of the time in the All-Stars, he likes to have a musical director. Originally, that was Mark Rivera, and you know he's had Timmy Capello, and, and now he has Warren Ham in that role. There really wasn't anybody in that role in this show. Rod Argent was kind of in that role, but not really. Yeah, and there's no um, utility person, so to speak, either, who goes from one to the other to the other. Edgar Winter is kind of that, but he's still predominantly keyboards in here. Although, you know, again, you had Rod Argent, so Edgar was freed up just a little bit. And then you've got the percussion interplay between him and Sheila later on as well. Irish Ringo would join in with it, actually, and just let loose on there. So the other thing about this DVD, as it's presented... They have a song, and then between every song, they've got just a, maybe 10, 15 seconds from the various artists on the show saying a little bit of something about the song. And you also get a bit where they're talking about first experience of them playing with each other, and that's nice as well that you have that. It looks like these interviews were filmed after the tour was over. Billy Squire is not real happy with Ringo, although you know it couldn't have been too bad because he did come back for one more tour. And then there was something that Ringo said about Billy as well as in, you know, oh, don't, don't talk to me. And I thought, that's a bit of a weird thing to say. Tell me about Billy Squire. Very tense. <laughs> but in a loving way. I had to tell Billy one time, don't talk to me. Because if you say anything, you play anything, any song, any note, any chord, Billy would have something to say about it. And even though he said... It's just to help the band in the end. You say, all right, it's just a little love for my friends. There was some ever so slight tension. And it turns out that Ringo had actually invited him for the 2000 or 2001 tour. And Billy Squire had turned Ringo down. One of the few times we've ever actually heard of somebody turning down the opportunity to go on tour with Ringo. He had family things to do or whatever in 2001. Even with everything... Who's going to turn down six weeks with Ringo, although the tours were a little bit longer at this point in time. Although he's doing two sets of six weeks this year. Wow. He just finished up the first batch, and he's doing another batch of five or six weeks in the fall. The first song is It Don't Come Easy. You know, Ringo can put just about any song of his up front, and it'll work. Please remember.
good performance of it don't come easy. Everybody gets a, a little bit of a, a jam. Edgar Winter plays some sax. This is the first time that you will notice that Sheila E is both a uh, hell of a drummer and easy on the eyes. Barry. <laughs> As I commented to you, and actually as John and I did a show about a couple years back, Ringo really needs to put together a female batch of All-Stars. Yep, I love your idea of Cheryl Crow being in the female All-Stars. Susanna Hoffs, definitely. You could have a couple of members of the Bangles, really. You could have Vicky Peterson, maybe. Edgar Winner comes up and introduces Ringo as the greatest drummer in the greatest band in rock and roll history. Edgar's introductions have gotten more flowery over the years. They're actually almost straightforward here. Yes, although when he introduces Sheila later on, he does make Sheila laugh. Ringo's second song. Okay, number for you now. Uh, this is the only song written by Lennon McCartney and Starkey. Oh, yes. <laughs> and it's called What Goes On? It is both a bit more country and a bit rockier. This is one where the Billy Squire influence kind of comes through. He kills it on the guitar on this as well. Really good. Ringo needs to do more country. It fits him. He is doing a country EP, you know, the T-Bone Burnett thing, to come out early next year. I really hope he finds a way to sneak at least one of those songs into the next All-Star set. I'd like him to do a full-on album of country songs, really, because it worked the first time. I think he's really honestly not doing albums anymore. He'll do three EPs in the time it would take to make an album, which is really kind of fine with me. I like getting four, maybe five songs twice a year when he puts them out rather than waiting for a 12 or 13 song album for two years. Absolutely. We start in with the interviews. Hamish tells us. It came together beautifully. Everybody just went to the right parts. Carefully omitting the fact that he joined so late, but he also says that... The parts were there in my head, so that, that's been really fun to do. And I guess because it, also it's been fun for Ringo, because I don't think he's done it before. He also doesn't mention having played with Paul. I thought that would have come up somewhere in here. I thought that as well. I mean, that must be where Ringo knows Amish from. That's then followed by Sheila E. telling us that... Ringo is the star. And for him to allow uh, all of us to shine in our own place and all of us support each other, that takes a great man. And, and what he does is he expects everyone to, when you walk into the door, check your egos at the door, come on in and have a great time. As they all do uh, throughout the whole thing, you can see them all enjoying themselves. That's the thing about the All-Star Man. Everybody loves to do it. It's fun, and from all accounts, Ringo is just the greatest guy to work with. I mean, he's full of energy even now at 82. Even Mick. Is Mick up there doing jumping jacks on the stage at 82? I wouldn't know. I've not seen <laughs> Okay, the next song is Honey Don't. Carl Perkins kind of keeping in the country mode. Again, Billy Squire's guitar is excellent, and... That's really one of the surprises out of this tour. And Billy Squire does mention it in some of the interview bits later on, is that he gets to show off on guitar. He is the guitar player on this tour. He really is. He's all over the place on the lead guitar. You can hear him everywhere. I do think this song is slightly fast. It comes and goes so quickly, this song. And Ringo remembers to thank Carl Perkins at the end, which is very nice. As you know, my name is Ringo, and this is the All-Star Band. He reminds people of that a lot during the gig, actually. He also says, if you don't know this next song, you're in the wrong place. 
<laughs> nice bit of humor there. <laughs> so before we go into the round robin, we get a bit of Ringo talking about you know why he does the all-star thing. This is just how it is, that it's the all-stars, you know, Ringo and the all-stars, and this gives me the opportunity to be down the front doing photograph, being the personality, and to get on the drums, which I love and still do, to play behind all these other great musicians that are in the band. We move on to the first of the songs from the other All-Stars, Everybody Wants You, the Billy Squire song, an MTV favorite. Wikipedia tells us it's kind of the gap between power pop and hard rock. It's a little bit more power pop here than it is on the recorded version. Yep, and the album's produced by Queen's producer, Mac, as well, Reinhold Mac. Ringo's drumming on this song. Take that, Adam beat Pete Best. (laughs) Ringo will rock, but he rarely rocks this hard. And it's Ringo, it's not Sheila E. who's rocking here. You say that, and it makes me think of back in the day when he used to play along with Mark Boland and T-Rex every now and then. He used to enjoy rocking out with Mark back in the 70s. In the all-star band era, he has a tendency to go a little bit more poppy, a little bit more lightweight towards the country, not so much the hardcore rock and roll, which is what this song is. I would have thought that Ringo would join in with Steve Lukather for something like Old the Line or something. I would have thought Ringo would fit in nicely there. But it's Greg Bissonette who's doing a lot of the work there. One thing about this version, Billy Squire goes into the crowd sing-along, and I think it's a little bit cheesy. It might be a bit that, or it might be a bit nerves, perhaps, because Billy's saying that it's it's years and years since he'd actually done anything. So it, there might be a bit of that in there, making him a bit, you know, not quite so at the top of his game with the audience, maybe. So that then goes into Free Ride, which is just a tremendous song. R- Rod Argent's coming. The only time I ever looked at the set list and went, oh, was because the rhythm part on free ride, I still kind of suck at it. Which I don't think is true, but I like the fact that he'll come out and admit that he's not completely happy with his rhythm playing on it. He puts himself down a lot in all the, in these behind-the-scenes bits. So we all know free ride. And written by Dan Hartman. But it actually was not a big, big hit. You know, it only ever got to, like, number 14. Okay. You see him with Ringo in 2023. He's not afraid of anything. At this time, he was new to the whole process. And you can sense that just ever so slightly. It's not. It doesn't really affect the versions. It's not that they're bad or anything. It's just that he's not sure how far he can go. And Sheila E. gets to shine on this song as well with the high vocal harmonies. And so if you're not sure where you heard this song, it is a staple of classic rock radio but it was also in mighty Morphin power rangers the movie and in cars 
Should be in everybody's playlist. Then Edgar introduces the band, and he makes a joke that he's still making. Uh, and this young lady on the left hand of God is incredibly talented, as I was saying. A dynamic drummer, a scintillating soloist, a preeminent percussionist. When it comes to the Latin rhythm thing, she's really got it going on. It is the real deal. A sensational singer and songwriter and charismatic performer. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up for the electrifying one and only Sheila E. Brilliant. That makes Ringo God. I'm not sure that John Lennon would quite approve of that. Well, I don't know. John Lennon was bigger than Ringo, so maybe he was bigger than God. I think God is just a concept. (laughs) That then takes us into Sheila E. with one of her two hits that she plays here. A Love Bazaar is a song co-written with Prince. And it's a hell of a performance as well. I love this song. talking about the double drumming the two of them just really get into it and you know you wouldn't think that Ringo would necessarily be as comfortable with the Latin beat as he is it goes real Latin here it does since it's a rhythm section song this is one of the songs where Hamish really gets to shine he even gets a little bass solo oh his bass playing on this is phenomenal Really, really solid. I love how the drums and the bass work perfectly together in this and um, and the rhythm guitar playing as well by Richard and Billy. And then the song ends with Sheila singing Yes, Jesus Loves You in almost a whispery voice. It's like, I never would have imagined anyone could make that sound sexy and she does. I think that's the Prince influence there. (laughs) Other than the Ringo stuff, that is one of the highlights of this show is her just going off on Yes, Jesus Loves You. It's like, oh, oh, what, what, huh, huh? Uh." Yes, Jesus Loves You. Yes, Jesus Loves You. Quote our friend from our other show, Toppermost of the Poppermost, it's a banger. <laughs> we also got a little bit in the interview bits where Sheila reminds us that there are not a lot of rock and roll girls, and, and I have to remind them that I'm there. Well, I mean, that's another reason why Ringo needs an all-female all-star set one of these days. Oh, at the very least, a 50-50. Sheila is kind of really the only one he's ever taken out with him. You know, Bonnie Raitt would be perfect to slot into one of the all-stars. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of another member of Go-Go's. Jane Weedling. I think she'd be a good all-star. A friend of mine is clapping very loudly because he's a very big Jane Weedlin fan. And we can't mention Jane Weedlin without saying she was also in Star Trek. Yes, she was. Star Trek Connection. We will have another Sheila E. song, but we will leave you with the discovery that I made that she's apparently working on a biopic of her relationship with Prince. 
You don't see many of those around biopics of people's relationships with other people. John and Yoko, a love story. I like that there's so much going on with the Prince world, even though we're a Beatles-related podcast. I like that the Prince estate that is letting these things eventually come out, like his album collections, his catalogue is has been re-released, which was being held back by Prince while he was alive at the end. But as with the Harrison estate, it's just taking them so damn long to release anything. Absolutely. I'm now wishing that Sheila E. would have done this with Prince back in the day. That might have been a lot of fun, actually. Absolutely, yeah. Sheila E. and the boys, that's great. The first two times, I didn't notice, but somebody's doing Paul Woo's in there. It's like, who the heck is doing that? It's like, well, that's Billy Squire. Is it Billy or is it, you know, Richard? Richard later on really does a, a good Prince approximation. You think that's what he was trying to do? He was giving Sheila a nod with and doing a Prince thing. Possibly. Prince is as much Little Richard influence as Paul is. Now, I still think that's at least slightly a Beatles reference. Yeah, absolutely. Now, in this instance, I think Billy Squire takes the guitar solo a little bit too far. Yeah, he's a bit too over the top, a bit too hard rock. I can't tell you how many times I've seen bands go off and do a slightly metal version of a Beatles tune, which is usually okay, it's fine, until they get to the guitar solo. And that just may be because the thing about Beatles guitar solos is what makes them brilliant is their simplicity. It's probably one of the only times in this entire concert, though, where he does that. Most of the time, his playing is perfect for the song. Okay, then we we move on to... Richard Marks with Don't Mean Nothing. That's kind of one of the lesser-known songs, actually. Louise remembered this song because she's a big Richard Marks fan from back in the day, but, yeah, I, I didn't remember this song at all until now. But it's a, it rocks. It's a really good rock song. I kind of sort of remembered it, and then I went and watched the video afterwards. I was like, oh, it's that song. Is it similar to how it was originally, or is this rocked up a bit from the original? It's rocked up ever so slightly. I mean, both the Billy Squire and the Richard Mark stuff, in its original versions, it's very much 80s, the drum machine, and you, you got the kind of plinky, plinky sense all over everything. I know what you mean by that with the 80s sounds. The song was nominated for a Grammy Award. He didn't win, but just to be in that company is uh, pretty cool. And the music video included Cynthia Rhodes, who was the dancer in Dirty Dancing, uh, the original dancer opposite uh, Patrick Swayze, if anyone's interested. And she would marry Richard Marks. So, so she was Mrs. Marks as opposed to Paul McCartney's Mr. Marks. Mr. Marks, could you send her a quick? Richard Marks had done some work with the Eagles and Joe Cocker in particular, so maybe that is why there was some relationship, and and maybe that's why Ringo had his phone number. 
It's possible. Richard Marks, if you look at his career, I mean, and people that he's worked with, it's amazing because he's all over Lionel Rich's um, All Night Long album, whatever that's called, Can't Can't Slow Down album, and he's all over that Lionel Richie stuff. So he's all over the place. He knows everybody, Richard Marks. So then we're into Rod Argent with the Zombies hit, She's Not There. Ringo makes a point. So, I mean, he notices as well that... Rod, great. You know, he came along, I mean, we know he plays keyboards, and actually he wasn't the singer on those major hits, but he did a great job. I don't know whether he's just being nice or whether he actually means it. I agree with Ringo, you know, he he doesn't do a bad job. But but... it's just not the original record. But then again, you know, how many people sing like Colin Bluntstone? You know, there's a reason why Denny Lane has got a number one hit with one of his songs is because Colin Bluntstone did a cracking version of it. Yeah, and say you don't mind, there is quite a note at the end of that song, but it's in the song. It's how Denny Lane wrote the song. So we were always going to go for it. There was never any question of not going for it. And uh, as I said, I was probably about 22 at the time, so those kind of things come comparatively easily when you're 22. And Rod Argent makes an interesting comment that the whole reason that he wrote She's Not There in Time of the Season was based on the way Ringo did his fills in the Beatles. The musical drum patterns as opposed to just banging away. It's nice that Ringo plays drums on this because it has got a nice feel to it where it it doesn't stop, it keeps moving as well, this song. Ringo actually mentions that he really likes playing on the Zombies covers, the, the Rod Argent material, because there is room for him to just take it out a little bit. He's not just locked into a, a single pattern. Yeah. Then back to Ringo, Never Without You, which is his tribute to George. George had just passed a couple years ago at this point. I like the song, but the lyrics are a, a little bit terrible. Ringo has a thing with writing lyrics that it's almost like he writes a list out of like, oh, these are song titles that I've got to include in there, or these are places that are, that link me and them together that I've got to get in there, or it's just the Ringo School of Songwriting that he seems to have been doing a lot since 2000. Am I imagining things, or does it sound like Ringo doctored his vocals ever so slightly? We were young, it was fun. And we couldn't lose Time for right Overnight We were headline The backing and the playing all seem live But I get a little sense of Ringo might have sweetened his vocal Or even completely re-recorded it It's possible I mean, not to the modern standards Where he's using, you know software to alter his voice completely i may be wrong but uh, you know it, it may just be the, the way he was mic'd and what was coming off the board but it just doesn't feel quite as live as the rest of this i like his ringo star shaped tambourine that you mentioned as well that's good then into yellow submarine and ringo still does it in the same way you know he, he's almost just given up singing it. it it's all just you know kind of talk singing now in the town where i was born he, he's not even really except on the choruses trying to sing all that much if you called it a bit more then he, he might as well just be sat on a chair reading from a book you know like one of those Shows where, you know, people are just sat there reading a story to you. Let me tell you a story. Almost Peter Sellers style. Actually, I think I might want that now. Octopus's Garden where he did the children's book where he did exactly that. 
Yes. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. He'd let us in, knows where we've been in his octopus's garden in the shade. I'd ask my friends to come and see an octopus's garden with me. Ask your friends. Then we go into the solo spots, uh, which is always what Ringo does in the middle. It gives him an opportunity to leave the stage and take a break for a couple of songs. And there's some really interesting choices in the solo spots on this tour. Edgar Winter's Dying to Live, that's a beautiful song. The piano intro, it's almost like a classical concert that, you know, suddenly in the middle of Ringo's show. And then his vocal goes off a little bit gospel. Very. Why am I dying to live if I'm just living to die? I didn't get to see this show live, so I don't know what the response was, but I like it. The thing is, you know, listening to it, I thought to myself, I thought, Oh, I wish Sheila and Richard would have stuck around just to harmonise here and there to to pull, to make that gospel even more so. You, do you know what I mean? That would have been really, really good. And uh, those of you, those of you younger people out there, might know this because it was sampled in uh, Tupac's posthumous release, "Running." Yeah. So, all right, then uh, right here waiting. Uh, Probably Richard Marx's biggest song. I would say so. Yep, absolutely. Yep, and it, it's an interesting version of the song as well. I think with guitar. Yeah, and but then- it's another. It's another. I sing, crowd sings. I sing, crowd sings. Yeah, which um, I, I mean, it, it, what, what, he, what was that opening about? You know, don't join him because you're going to ruin it. And then he gets them to he, join he's in. He's clearly, mean, he's yeah. clearly kidding. But still, it's like. He, he he makes that point and it's like and then he I do it do it louder I want to hear you and it's like you're not doing hey Jude here Richard Marks no but he does get them to but yeah I, I, yeah I think he gets a good response from the the, the the audience though they're incredibly loud when they do sing louder uh yeah although you know the audience seemed ever so slightly dead to me they weren't a real excited audience. No, not until we get to the later song with Sheila, and then they are excited. Yeah, then 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 they get into it. But in general, for the course of the show, they're just kind of there. Yeah, but then I've been to shows before, you know, where I've wanted, I've gone to stand up, and then one of the stewards has come across and go, "It's not that type of show," and yeah. Well, I mean, you also got to remember that this was in a casino. So I'm sure that some of the people in the audience were gamblers given tickets. This show was taped at the Mohegan Sun. Okay. 
I've seen Ringo shows in casinos. I, I went to Vegas to see Ringo, uh, what is now five or six years ago. That then goes into a song that you really, really wouldn't have expected to hear in this show. The Robert Johnson cover, Rambling on My Mind. Now, it's really kind of a cover of the Clapton version of the Robert Johnson song. But it's Billy Squire and Edgar Winter. I would have liked the full band to have done this. I think Ringo would have loved to have drummed on this because, you know, he famously used to enjoy joining the Beatles at Hamburg and doing, like, the blues numbers at the end. Yeah, so it's a 1936 Delta Blues song, and it was one of the ones that Clapton turned around and made into a rock and roll blues song. I really like it. it. You know, I was familiar with the Clapton version, not so much the Billy Squire version, but just him and Edgar Winter, they play the heck out of this song. They do. Incredible. This was actually the first record that Clapton sang on with John Mayall's Blues Breakers. Yep, on the Beano album, if anyone's interested. A classic album. We float back around to Rod Argent with that other hit from the zombies time of the season favorite song for some reason he has changed the lyrics from is he crazy rich like me to just is he rich like me maybe he doesn't think he's crazy rich no just rod argent and his vocal this was kind of the break in the middle there he plays the heck out of this on the keyboard i mean it's like he doesn't need the rest of the instrumentation it's all there on that keyboard does it happen a lot where they'll just be on their own on the stage? For a normal show, I think you might get two of these. They probably did a couple of extra just because it's for the cameras. Yeah. So then into Frankenstein, which is Edgar Winter, and Edgar Winter is still playing it to this day with Ringo. It's a great version. Whoever's in the All-Star who has the most difficult song, I don't play on because it's too difficult. Oh, I leave that to Sheila and the rest of the band. <laughs> One or two of the songs were very complex, like Frankenstein, and I made a point of um, writing those out before we came over. The thing about Frankenstein was that we were never even going to record that song. And it was Frankenstein, this, this trip, with Edgar's Frankenstein. No chance in hell I could have played that. Or if I had have played it, it would have been a bit more just rock and roll. Well, Sheila uh, ended up doing an incredible job. So luckily I listened to it and I learned it because when we got to rehearsal, I did one thing and Edgar uh, said something and I said, do you want me to play exactly like the record? And he said, yeah. And I'm thinking, well, of course he would want me to play like the record. And I said, you know, pound it. You know, uh, yeah, uh, I, I'm trying to remember if I told her to uh, play it like a man. I might have said that. So it was very cool for him to bring his timbales and play them, and him and I play together. That's a first, so I'm, I was really excited about it. It's a different animal, you know, Frankenstein. But uh, that also makes it uh, so much fun once everybody learns all those parts and becomes really uh, confident uh, and uh, able to do it. It gives everybody a chance to really shine and, and show off. But I do regret, Richard, the fact that, that you weren't up there at that moment. And uh, if we ever do it again, I'm going to get you the next time. 
The other thing, which is slightly sexist, but Sheila took it in good nature. I may have said to Sheila, play it like a man. I get what you're saying, Edgar. I don't know if you'd get away with that in 2023, but you know, if she wasn't offended by it, I won't be offended by it. He brings out the long, the full 88 key synth. And, and the sax, and then he's got the drum break, the drum off with the Sheila, like you mentioned earlier. That's the second drum break. The first one is really just a solo from Sheila and then over to a solo from Edgar Winter. And here's one of the places where the camera work fails them a little bit. There's a really weird shot, which is kind of looking up at Hamish and the camera's almost going up his nose. Maybe that's the only shot and they had to have a little bit of Hamish while he was actually playing. Ringo comes back out. in a Def Leppard Bedazzled t-shirt. I noticed that as well. Me and Louise watching and I goes, oh look, he's got a Def Leppard t-shirt on. I'm now imagining a future Ringo's all-star band with uh, possibly Phil Collin from Def Leppard joining him on stage. That could be interesting. Yeah, I can just imagine it. Phil Collin and uh, and Steve Lukather are doing a guitar off. The backing vocals from Sheila E and Hamish together, those are gorgeous. Yes, I think Amish is an incredible addition to this, and I think both of those two together work perfectly. I've always loved Hamish's voice. Ringo's evergreen concert bit, What's My Name? Yeah, he should write a song about that. Then his other favorite evergreen concert bit, I put out a record last year. How many people have you bought it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah. <laughs> he has a little comment to here. I like mentioning that because I like to feel humble. Molly's wearing that bedazzled shirt that nobody can miss. So that then goes into what was his then current record, Choose Love. This is one of the places where you can tell that it was really meant to have uh, Mark Hudson there on stage with him with his clothes and his multicolored hair. It's a good song, and the All-Stars do it well. And, you know, as I've said many times, I really kind of wish Ringo were still doing at least one or two of his current songs on the current All-Stars. He dropped that 2017 was the last time he did new songs in the All-Star show. I like the idea of them doing more modern songs because it fits their voice as it is now. Well, Paul in particular, but, you know, Ringo is still pretty good 
I mean, despite what I was saying earlier about how, him possibly having sweetened his vocal uh, on one song, here it sounds right. It sounds live, and I much prefer him singing without the auto tune. You know, yeah. the auto tune on the record just drives me ever so slightly nuts. Same here. Despite what I just said about Ringo and his vocals, he does crack twice during this song. Another reason to believe that it is really and truly live here. Not too bad, but you could hear it. It couldn't quite hide it. Well, you know, I mean, even in 2006, he would have been 66. Not quite as bad as some of his other lyrics, but it still has those let's throw in Beatle references for no real obvious reason. Tomorrow never knows what goes on. Yeah, I noticed that as well. This would become almost Ringo's prototype for his lyrics up to the present day. Okay, let's write a song which talks about peace and love and throws in a couple of Beatle lyrics for good measure. Put Billy Squire, really good guitar work on this. Killer guitar solo by Billy. Choose love. Squire, not Billy Preston. Ringo has so many friends that have been in the All-Stars named Billy, doesn't he? Will he have an All-Star Billy band eventually? Well, then he can have Billy Joel on there with him as well. Now that would be something. It really would be something. And if he can't get Paul, he can bring William Campbell on with him. No, no, I'm not going there, but I'll say it for the joke. In between, the, when I can take a quick breath, I look back and I see Ringo Starr playing drums on something I wrote and recorded, that is mind-blowing. That, that's something that I will never, ever forget, and nobody will ever get me to shut up about. The next Richard Marks song, Should Have Known Better, which has nothing to do with I Should Have Known Better. No, nice to see Ringo playing drums on this, though, and he does a great job of it. Billy and Richard both working together really well. This song got all the way up to number three on the Hot 100. So, you know, this was actually a reasonably big hit, but it was another one that I only kind of half remembered. Yep, and I can see what you mean by Springsteen Light as well. It's got that sort of Springsteen feel to it. It's not meant as a put-down. No. We are now getting ready to go into Sheila E's second and her tour de force performance what she mentions is that playing in this band was pretty heavy, which actually kind of reminds me of what Chris Witten said when he played on Paul's band in the 89 tour. It's like, oh, I thought it'd be an, an easy laid back time, but here I am thrashing my guts out every night. Ring 
Ringo on drums really good. It works perfectly as a good backing to the song. I like Sheila's little drum thing in the at the front as well. The little the kit that she's got there with the cowbell and the the toms and it, it's great. I think Richard Marks does a great uh, harmony here. He's, he's hitting the exact notes Prince was getting on the original version. Yeah, and I also really like Edgar Winter's comment about Sheila E's playing that. Sheila is a phenomenal uh, percussionist, uh, you know, a, 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 a great soloist, just a fluid solo. It, like, she would do her solo, and uh, it was never the same. And particularly when she's up there playing that. To be honest, I mean, it amazed me because I was listening to it and, and watching them, and I was thinking, wow, they've got everything absolutely perfect because the keyboard stabs a very Prince and the Revolution slash, you know, uh, new power generation with the stop starts and the, just that feel that they've got and they've got it absolutely perfect. I love that she does that thing that some drummers are able to do and some drummers aren't. She hits a drum, then throws a stick out into the audience and picks up another stick. Yeah, like I said, she's a fort on stage. And what are those drums she's playing? They're toms, but they're almost like uh, thick white trash cans almost i don't know they're not roto toms they're not they're special toms they're different toms but i really like that and i like how she ends the song who said girls couldn't play drums yeah yeah and then you know ringo laughs out loud that's the bit that i noticed and um, brilliant and she's that carried away that she knocks the cymbal over. And then she does the roll, which is is kind of funny because, well, I mean, that's what George Martin always said about Ringo was that, well, Ringo couldn't do a proper roll. So if Ringo can't do one, here's Sheila E. doing one for him. Yeah. Ringo needed Sheila to go back in time to the 60s and, uh, and say, I can't do it, but my girl can do it for me. <laughs> More of Ringo saying nice things about the All-Stars. I just love to play with all this front line, including the back line, which I'm one of. And then really the whole concept of the All-Stars, which is really the same concept that they've always said about the Beatles. I will support you to the best of my ability and expect to be supported by you. Which then turns into a joke. Rod Argent, Billy Squirt, Richard Marks, you know. We had to really support a lot, I'm afraid. But anyway, there's one in every band. <laughs> Poor Richard. <laughs> that goes into I Want to Be Your Man. It works. Rod Argent gets in a little extended piano bit. Ringo does some fills which are not present in the Beatles version. Not out of place and not unnecessary, but just a little bit extra. It's nice to hear Ringo just, you know, have a bit of a play. Then Billy Squire closes out the song with a guitar solo, which leads into a bit of interview with him where he says the same thing that I said earlier, that one of the big positive opportunities from the show was the fact that he got to get out there and be the guitarist. Because everyone always came to him and said, you know, who is that playing that guitar bit? He's a great guitarist. You know, something that Amish said earlier on that we, that we didn't mention where Amish says, 
about serving the songs. Uh, for the most part, other than those one or two moments, Billy does that perfectly on guitar. Now, this goes into a, a song from Billy Squire called Rock Me Tonight, a song which is infinitely better in this version, the, the rocking version, as opposed to the, you know, we were talking about the, the 80s plinky plinky sense. The, the recorded version, the album version of the song is very much in that mode. Yeah, this song really does rock. Billy Squire is guitar is front and center on here. The other thing people remember about that song, this song is sometimes associated with the end of Billy Squire's career as a singles musician due to the music video, which was described as one of the worst ever in the 2011 books, I Want My MTV, The Uncensored Story of the Music Video Revolution, and MTV Ruled the World, The Early Years of Music Video. Yeah, uh, the video is available on YouTube. It looks like Billy Squire is... (laughs) trying to recreate the flash dance thing, the rip shirt, the slightly awkward dancing. And he's in this weird peach colored off the shoulder t-shirt, which is like, why are you doing that? It really is a terrible video. Yeah. Then we go into Rod Argent's hold your head up, which is, is Rod Argent singing a Rod Argent song. It is. Yep, here you go. Rod singing his own song that he sung the original for back in the day. Now, in this instance, the the backing vocals, or at least the backing vocals through the front half of the song, seem ever so slightly ragged. I don't know if it was intentional or not. I don't know either. I think you're right. Yeah, as the song goes on, it gets more into it and and the backing gets tighter and you know it's in good shape by the end of it but you know for the front half it just seems to take and it's not a bad version like i say it's just kind of the backing vocals are just a little bit ragged and and aren't quite where they should be yeah i don't understand why but you know perhaps it's a more complicated song than i think it is This time you get Rod Argent running back and forth up on the front of the stage, waving his arms, trying to convince the audience to get into it. He tries. He had ruined all of them. It's like, I can do it. I'm a sexy girl. Nobody wants to sing along with you guys. <laughs> sort of agree, agree with her. Yeah, you know. Written by Chris White and credited to Chris White and Rod Argent. It's another song that you know. I mean, this is one of the ones that on Toppermost we describe as, yeah, you, you've, you've heard this song. Yeah. For anyone interested, Chris White was the bass player for the Zombies. Then Ringo gets to close out the show, act naturally. You look at Chili, Chili's E's got this big old grin on her face. Well, she's happy all the way through the entire set. But here in particular, it's like... I'm playing Act Naturally with Ringo. Ringo's up there singing. This is just so cool. Yeah. He does it a little bit more country than he did with the Beatles. It's a little bit closer to the Buck Owens version. This was after Buck had passed, I believe. Perhaps as a, a note of respect, perhaps he did that on purpose, you know, to almost like, you know, respect Buck Owens' original version a bit more. And because obviously they, they'd made friends with each other. And maybe. Didn't he actually? do a performance of this with Buck Owens at one point. They did the version together, and there's a a long-form video of the two of them actually acting out the song, which is a lot of fun. And Hamish is singing throughout. It's not quite a duet, but it's 
almost a duet. So, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe it is a slight tribute to Buck Owens and, and ha- just having done that relatively recently at this point in time with Buck. I think that really works nicely, Hamish doing that. You know how it works with Paul, with Abe, where Abe Laboreal will nowadays double up Paul and do the high parts. It makes the voices shine a lot more, I think, when he does that. And I think that's what Amish is doing here. I think while Amish is doing that, it actually makes the song work a lot nicer because he's doubling up Ringo and doing the higher part to it. So Ringo ends that with you. Thanks all you country lovers. Then again, how many hits did I have? Well, let's do them all, which is slightly ironic because, well, he's getting ready to do a song, which was not a hit. Of the latter-day Ringo song, this is probably one of my favorites. I really like this tune. It took some guts for him to use this as a closing song. Yeah, yeah, I really, I really like this version. There's still a lot of those in things, though, you know, that, that Ringo does with his lyrics, though, where it sort of, like, harks back to something from the past. You know, he, he gets the references in there. At least it's not, like, overdone Beatles references. You know, he's talking about Elvis and Buddy Holly and... Carl Perkins, you know, it's all right if you want to reference them, but referencing yourself is okay. Do something else, please, Ringo. Yeah. The song is Memphis in your mind. I like Ringo's voice on this a lot as well. You got dual keyboards, you got Rod Argent and Edgar Winter both doing the keys at the same time. And yeah, Ringo's vocal is really good. Ringo actually throws it to Edgar, you know, go ahead and play me one. And so Edgar actually does this uh, solo. And yeah, and as you mentioned, you know, be bopalula, wahoo, bopalula. You can have two left feet, but you can still keep the beat. Despite the referential stuff, I like when Ringo talks and sings about drumming in his songs, you know? Yeah, I like that as well. We're getting ready for the closeout. We get little short interview segments from everyone. The first rule is that we all have to have hits from the 60s, 70s, 80s. I don't think we've quite hit the 90s yet. (laughs) Uh, Because that's what this All Stars is about, doing the hits. It's the best, I've said it before, the best 1-800 number band on the planet. Which is true, and they're still not in the 90s. Although another one that might be kind of fun to have, at least for a short tour, Dave Grohl. You know, he's Paul's buddy now. I think his buddy's with Ringo as well. I can't see him doing like a big whole summer tour, but maybe a a three or four week tour. Really cool to see those two drumming alongside each other. Then you get a little bit of 90s into the All-Stars and it's 90s that everybody really knows, especially if it's the, the Nirvana stuff that. And since Ringo clearly has no issue with the non-singer singing the song, Dave Grohl can sing some of those Nirvana classics as much as anybody else. I'm not trying to imagine Ringo singing along, you know, to Come As You Are and things like that. I could see that. Yeah. yeah. Or even if Ringo didn't sing, even if it's just a, a double drumming thing and where they just maybe add a very slight bit to the front or the back, that would be really cool. That would be another way to change up the All-Stars. Actually, that would be a song that would work for Ringo. Uh, Come As You Are? Yeah, mm. that would. Yeah. So the show ends with the encore, which is, guess what? Little help for my friends. Who would have thought it? He never does that one, does he? Never, ever, never, ever, ever. No. Here he does the jumping jacks during the song. No guests on this version. You go and see Little Help from some of the other shows, and this is the song where he always brings on guests to sing with him.
Peace and love is the only way. I love you all. Good night. Peace and love. This was before they started fading out from Little Help into Get Peace a Chance, which is the way they've done it the last 10 years or so. nice ending it's it is the same thing that he does now Ringo leaves the stage and he leaves the rest of the band to take the bows I'm not doing those bows no I did enough of those over the years no autographs and no bowing so that was the 2006 Ringo's all-star band tour when you look at the lineup you don't necessarily think it's going to be as good as it actually is I still would probably put it in the lower half of all-star bands just because Ringo's better when there's more 60s material in it. Do you think it's a bit messy in some ways because there's no actual person as a musical director as such? I do. I mean, you know, some of those things, like we were saying, that you know, you get the part where the, the harmony vocals are ever so slightly ragged. That's something that a musical director might have taken care of. I think they're a band that surprisingly work really well together. All of them, all the elements work nicely. Who would have guessed that Billy Squire, Richard Marks, and Ringo would work together as a unit? I know, but they do. But then again, you know, you, you think Billy Squire, Sheila E. work perfectly together from very different areas. In in a sense, it shows how Ringo's idea actually works when you get all these different elements 
from all over the spectrum musically come together. No pun intended. And put all their bit, and, and it works. It's just. As Ringo has forgotten in the interim, this was not Ringo's idea. This was David Fishoff's idea at Pepsi. It was David Fishoff who phoned Ringo up and said, I've got an idea. Here's how we can get you out on the road again. That's how the all-star band came about. Ringo said, well, yeah, hey, that's a great idea. Let me call some of my friends. And and that's how the first all-star band ended up coming together. Come together. They did. And while I think it's probably better for Ringo to have some folks that can push him out in different ways, Hamish is back and Edgar Winter is back this time around and Lukather is back. But... I really wouldn't mind seeing him play with some different folks. You know, if he's going to do another all-star band next time. I mean, I always really wanted to see him do a full roundhead show. And there's the one that he did, the promotional show, which was promotion for his record, but a full roundhead show where he would do his solo stuff and Beatles stuff and the new record. And that just never came to pass. So since this was a last-minute thing that Amish was involved, and I'm a huge fan of Average White Band, do, do they pull those songs off really well now with Hamish in the band? Do they do some, you know, really good Average White Band songs? Cut the cake, Ringo doesn't play on that. Okay, because that's too complicated for him, isn't it? <laughs> that's too complicated for Ringo. So, yeah. But it, it is a really nice version of that. That's the big number for Hamish. He has a couple other numbers. That, that slots in right before Frankenstein. Okay. I'm surprised they don't do something like Let's Go Round Again or Pick Up the Pieces. Uh, they do do Pick Up the Pieces. Oh, good. Good. I know. I said earlier on I need to oil it, I think. Cut the cake, and he does Work to Do, which is not an average white band song, but it's an Isley Brothers song. Did they actually cover that? They did. Their version of that, by the way, is on the... Um, Uh, Jim Belushi's film, Taking Care of Business. And to prove the statement that we open up with, the song that opens up the show now is Mashbox. That's a good opening. Another classic by Carl Perkins. Ringo can almost just play any of his classic songs as the opening song, and it doesn't matter. It's going to get the same reception, and it's going to work just as well as an opening song. The All-Stars concept is really the same thing that Todd Rundgren has taken and run with. Most recently, at least for us, the Rubber Soul and Revolver tour he did last year with, well, our good friend Darren Murphy. Yep. So, all right, we will be back, and it will be us because Martin is going to be with us next week as well. And then we've got another show with Martin planned for July, as well as the return of John Stone and... Another with Lonnie Pena. So stay tuned, whoever you are out there. Say something, Martin. Take care, everyone. Subscribe to When They Was Fab on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or wherever finer podcasts are found. Please join our Facebook group, and we could be reached at When They Was Fab and on Gmail. The opening theme was written, produced, and recorded by Jay Young Kim, Beaster Famine Studios, San Francisco, California.
So do you remember what year I first joined the All-Star Band? Exactly. Um, uh, no. <laughs> 2001. It was that long ago. Wow. Yeah, 2001. I can't believe it. Like 2001 and it was uh, Roger Hodson, Ian Hunter, yeah. Howard wasn't Jones, and Greg Lake. Wasn't that a great band? Amazing. Yeah, yeah. Amazing band. I remember when we got to Denver and we played the um, in the mountains. It was very high up. Oh, uh, Red Rock? Red or, Red yeah. Rock. And something went in the soundboard, blew up, and we couldn't have any monitors. Oh. And every one of them to a man said, well, we can't go on. And, you know, I played clubs. We're going on. Going <laughs> on. And the show was great because we just had to listen to the instruments. Right. And everyone to a man said, man, that was great. <laughs> yeah, that's what we do. So, but I was shocked that, you know, that's where we've got to now. Oh, the monitors have gone. I'm afraid it can't go on. <laughs> I know. I remember you telling us a story when we were all on, the, on your plane. And I remember you saying many shows but there was one show that you guys showed up and none of your gear was there but cymbals uh, none of my drums were there just the cymbals were there and yeah. we, <laughs> still went on, it was on the cabin and uh, we went on you know it was long ago and then they came later and as i'm sort of playing <laughs> we were a cover band so god knows what song we were playing but neil aspinall god rest his soul um you know, he'd bring the snare out and then he'd bring like the high of the bass drum on. So, and there's a tom now, you know, so it was all like being shipped around me while we were playing. Oh my gosh. Well, you know, you did that stuff. You're in your 20s, you're mad. Yeah. You know, yeah. I mean, oh. yeah, it's just crazy because back then we didn't have, you know, gear to listen to. You're right. We we're just jamming in a garage and. Yeah. There was no equipment to, you know, hear each other. You just got to listen to each other. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Free. I tell you one thing, there's sickness going on and there's some good people doing work in hospitals, but they got no bread to do it on. Not only are they working in a miserable condition with sick people, but they're, they're scraping the barrel for funds to keep going. Turned up nice again. <laughs>